0: Hello, folks, and welcome, welcome, welcome to the season one finale of Wellness Check. Take a breath, everyone. It has been a while since I have checked in with all of you or even released an episode, and to be quite honest, it's a little weird being back behind the microphone. Um, Yeah, for those of you who don't know, at the end of August and for the entirety of September, I have been going through a huge change Uh, transition period Um, I moved across uh, Canada to a different province I am attending a new university I have a new place making new friends have new roommates trying to get adjusted so for the past month um I've been a little MIA from Wellness Check, um, not because I don't enjoy it, um, and I have been dearly missing you guys, um, but just because I needed some time to kind of get things under my belts before uh, jumping back into this platform here. So there's a couple of things I want to talk about, you guys, that I've been learning and thinking about for the future of the podcast and I'm really excited so before we get into it today um, I want to remind you guys that my elemental readings are being offered through my Instagram if you go to Instagram and go to at wellness check podcast you can go to the link in my bio and there you can sign up for your elemental reading um, they all come at different price points with a sliding scale um Each reading offers a different way to kind of examine yourself, look at um, what's going on in your life. Um, You can choose for different types of readings if you're looking to just get some some insight, some clarity. I encourage you to go try my air reading um, and sign up for it. If you're looking for something more grounding, I suggest the earth um, offering. You guys can sign up on the link in my bio. There's also one for fire, which is more towards cultivating creativity and passion and then there's my water ritual which is focused more on um, digging deeper and really diving into the more um, chaotic underworlds of our lives and looking at those channels so I really encourage you guys if you're interested in booking a reading with me please go to the link in my bio. Okay, so before I get into this episode and shed some light on this week's topic and who my guest is, (laughs) um, I want to first take a moment to acknowledge that I'm recording this episode on the traditional ancestral um, territory of the Musqueam people. Um, Through my courses at uni um, and my own research, I've been learning a lot about how important land acknowledgments are. Um, And it's something I haven't done on this podcast before, but it's something I want to start cultivating um, into each episode um, just to acknowledge the land that um, I'm currently living on um, and the indigenous caretakers of it. And there are two quotes that I found um, while kind of preparing for this land acknowledgement today um, that I want to read to you guys that kind of give some context on why land acknowledgements are so important um, and the first one comes from Northwestern University and it says it is important to understand the long-standing history that has brought you to reside on the land and to seek to understand your place within that history. Land acknowledgements do not exist in the past tense or historical context. Colonialism is a current ongoing process and we need to build our mindfulness of our present participation. And the second one comes from um, Mary Lyons, whose um, Leech Lake, Lake sorry, Leech Lake Band of Ojibwe um, is where she comes from. And Mary says, when we talk about land, land is part of who we are. It's a mixture of our blood, our past, our current and our future. And we carry our ancestors in us and they're around us as you all do so I just wanted to take a moment, um, to acknowledge this land. Um, I realize that land acknowledgements are not enough in the initiative to, um, heal relations and begin to really look hard at the genocide and stolen land and the horrors of the past. Um, and if anyone has any suggestions on creating and cultivating, um, those that reconciliation between um, the land and the indigenous people that are here, um, please let me know. Um, I'm interested in hearing your feedback, your comments, um, and I'd love to have an open conversation with any of you who are willing to participate in this conversation with me. Um, I also want to take a second before we begin to kind of talk about my shift or change, um, that I've been making. And I want to acknowledge that as much as this move has challenged me and has been difficult in many ways, um, I want to acknowledge that it is a privilege to, to make a move like this and to, um, go across the country, uproot oneself and have the stability and security to do that. So I just want to offer that to folks out there who might be listening, um, just to try to relate with you that I acknowledge you and I see you, and change and transition doesn't always make things good or easy or happy, and sometimes those things are really difficult. So, this week I'm sharing a conversation with you guys uh, that I had with Aaron Johnson, and recording this episode was such a full circle moment for me. Um, for those of you who have been following Wellness Check since the beginning, of wellness check era. (laughs) Um, You know that in the first episode, I said that I would love to bring Erin on for an episode to discuss themes about religious trauma and healing and folks, here we are. Uh, This episode addresses topics of religious trauma, getting back into your body, breath work, the importance of poetry and art and its healing properties, aliveness, and learning to be with your emotions, um, and possibly crying a lot too. We do talk about that. (laughs) Um, So normally at this point of the episode, I would just launch us into the interview. Um, However, this week, I want to give you all some some personal context around this episode, why it's so important to me, um, and what I'm still working on as I continuously unpack my own religious trauma, um, which for me is closely tied to evangelical Christianity. Um, And I want to start this with a caveat, as I do have some Christian friends and family members who I do love and care for dearly. Um, I want to add that I have a huge respect and love for people of all faiths and religions and for people who practice their faith in a way that is authentic to them and loving. Um, I can only speak here on this podcast to my own personal lived experience with religion. Um, And it's rather a complex one. It's not inherently... Um, a negative or positive experience, Um, although there are many aspects of it that I would categorize as um, more negative or um, insecure. And a part of my healing journey over the last year has been learning how to be honest and and truthful um, and being really honest and truthful, not only with myself, but also with the community that... I grew up in, and really closely examining that, and this is something that Aaron and I talk about and discuss later in this episode. Um, so with honesty and truth-telling in mind, um, I just have some observations I want to make before getting into this episode about my own religious trauma that I've been coming to realize lately. So I walked into class last week and my professor had a question on the board, and the question was, what leads to human pain? Um, Which is a pretty big fucking question. (laughs) Um, I saw it, and I was like, where do we even start? So we broke out into small groups, and we all began to bounce around ideas and discuss what the root cause of human pain is. And One thing that my small group came up with, um, a bunch of brilliant thinkers, um, was the idea that disconnection creates human pain. And within disconnection, um, there are so many other things that affect that. So for example, um, under the category of disconnection, we had trauma, we had betrayal, we had people turning away from each other, we had... um, as far as causing human pain, um, like emotionally being rejected, feeling alone, feeling isolated. And so all of these descriptors, all of these words came back to the theme of disconnection. Um, And I want to highlight that going into this episode because Erin and I discuss a lot about disconnection from one's body, disconnection from, um, community that we had experienced through religious trauma. Um, and for me personally, uh, like I said, I can only speak to my own lived experience. Disconnection is something that I'm realizing now was deeply ingrained in the evangelical form of Christianity that I grew up in. Um, not only were we Discouraged to or encouraged to disconnect from our own bodies, um, in in so many different ways. We are also inherently disconnected from God, and disconnected from from the love. There is conditions, even though it's suggested that God's love is unconditional. It is conditional in the sense that you have to believe or. Um, fall under these specific categories that allow you to have, um, God's love. And so growing up as a child, um, especially as a teenager, really, cause as a child, I was just, um, in this and, you know, it was what my family was a part of and we went to church and we went to, I went to an all Christian school. So it was something I was around quite often, but as a teenager, um, going through my own trauma and, and, and experiencing things of the world and life, um, I began to feel really ashamed. I began to feel really um, disconnected from myself, disconnected from God. And it was always this game of of repenting and trying to connect back with God that never seemed to work or click with me. Um, and that was really painful, um, thinking about how much disconnection was curated at that time in my life. And I was talking to... Um, a close person of mine a couple months ago about feelings of shame and how religion really impacted that. And I specifically used the word guilt. I said I was feeling guilty for, you know, things in the past that I had done and, and they, they, pointed out so beautifully to me that guilt and shame are actually two different things and that guilt is something that could go against our direct morals and so we're feeling this emotion or guilt because we have done something that goes against our own emotions Whereas shame is often placed on us by other people how we're supposed to fit into their boxes how we're supposed to um like mend or or mold ourselves into fitting whatever their perception of is us that sorry, whatever their perception of us is. And yeah, that was really painful to to realize and to understand that what I had been experiencing I thought was my fault. I thought I was not worthy. I was not inherent of unconditional love. I um that God was always put first and that everything came after and just this absence of love for me, um, how that really made me feel guilty. I felt like I was always doing something wrong. I was never good enough. And so realizing that that wasn't guilt for me, that was shame that I was experiencing placed on me by somebody else um, was a really impactful moment in me unpacking a lot of my religious trauma because it was the first time where I kind of allowed myself to be like, oh, this isn't my faults for feeling like this. This is just how the system is structured. Um, and there's a lot more I could go into, um, about my religious trauma. A lot of things happened, um, when my dad got ill that were really, um, traumatizing in regards to the church. Um, people promising that he could be healed when he had a terminal illness or people telling me that if I prayed hard enough that God would heal him. Um, and so looking back, um, not through a lens of bitterness or anger, but just through a lens of broader understanding of my past self um, has really allowed me to begin to unpack some of that religious trauma and, and look at it. And, and this is why this episode was so important to me. Um, and Aaron and I were able to make a beautiful connection um, around the same sort of shared um, feelings or aspects of religious trauma that we had both experienced. Um, And so this conversation to me is really sacred. It's something that I'm really excited to share with you all. Um, I'm really excited to offer it to anyone who is currently in a religious circle who doesn't feel um loved or who is currently feeling shamed or is experiencing feelings of questioning and just wanting to know what else there is to life um there is a lot and I feel like Aaron and I in this conversation give a little bit of shedding sorry we shed a little bit of light I think onto those topics um and I really hope that This can reach someone or anyone um, who needs to hear it right now. So with all that in mind, I would like to introduce our guest for this week. (laughs) Um, Erin. is an incredible person, first of all. (laughs) Um, Erin uses she, her pronouns. Um, And Erin is a queer space holder, facilitator, creative, poet, and witch. And she holds uh, trauma-informed spaces for folks who are looking to heal and embody more of themselves, especially after religion and um, for people who are going through a process of deconstruction. So Aaron's a great resource for those of you out there who maybe have some more questions or want to connect with communities that are also um, focused on healing, healing from religious trauma um, and holding a space um, of comfort and healing and of incredible people who are looking to continue to embody themselves. Um, You can find Erin on Instagram um, at Erin, it's E-R-Y-N-J underscore. Um, There you can find all of her cool posts and her stories and awesome content. So I really encourage you guys to go check it out. Um, I've also attached in the show notes below, um, links to Erin's, some of her workshops. So Erin holds a erotic poetry workshop, um, which you can find the link below. And she also has a religious trauma workbook, which I really encourage you guys to check out. Um, especially if you're looking to, um, begin to examine your own religious trauma or just have some interest or curiosity in it. I think it's a great resource. Um, Okay. Wow. That was a lot. Sorry for a long intro. I just wanted to give you guys some context um, to this episode. I am excited to share it with you all. So please, like always, um, take what you find meaningful to you and that you can apply to your life and and leave everything else. Um, I am ecstatic to now share with you all Aaron's interview with me. Okay. Enjoy. Um, welcome back to Wellness Check, everyone. I am your host, Allison Winnick, and today I am joined in the studio um, by the brilliant Aaron Johnson. Um, Aaron, this is such a full circle moment for me because uh, for those of you who have been listening to Wellness Check in the very first episode, you were someone that I said who. I wanted to have on the podcast and this kind of being the season finale I feel like it's so fitting it's kind of come all the way around um Erin welcome (laughs) officially thank you (laughs) you're welcome that's so Um, sweet I'm so happy to be here (laughs) (laughs) we're so excited to have you um similar to you I think we kind of start our episodes in a similar way and I would love to hear about Um, your healing journey, your journey of reclamation, um, and what's led you to the work that you're doing today? Yeah,
1: um, I love talking about this, of course, (laughs) Um, and it's also such a big question. I guess Mm -hmm. I can start by sharing that I grew up with a really religious family, and a lot of my journey around healing and reclamation has been about healing around religious trauma, which I didn't actually realize when I first started doing healing work and going on a healing journey. I like, didn't understand that that's actually where a lot of these things I was working on were coming from, but then as I mm-hmm. started to get that lens, I was like, "Oh, right, and this thing is connected to that." And so is this thing, and so is this thing, and, so is this thing, and, <laughs> <laughs> and it's all coming back to this place. Um So that's been a big part of my healing journey. Um, I think another big part of my journey with healing and reclamation has been about judgment that was one of the first places that I really touched when I started really intentionally doing healing work, which is also not separate from religious trauma. I think people who come from a church background know how judgmental people in those spaces are encouraged to be. And we learn a lot of judging ourselves and judging other people and creating hierarchies of who's good and who's bad and how do we get to be good and not bad and all of those things. Um But a lot really clicked for me around the ways that I was judging other people because I actually didn't feel free to be myself or comfortable to be myself. Um, So that's been a lot of work that I've done to land in a more more soft and open place which is a place that feels really good for me and judgment has this like tight constrictive energy that I really hate and it feels terrible Um, (laughs) and bringing more openness has this like much softer tender quality that feels um really good and I mean there's so much but another big piece of it for me has also been about remembering how to feel and Mm. having feelings again (laughs) yes Um, Yeah, that's been so huge for me. And as we were talking before we started recording about how I was like wailing yesterday for the Pisces full moon and you were having an emotional experience too. (laughs) I was just thinking the other day, I'm like, did I do too good of a job remembering how I'm feeling? like, like, did I do too good?
0: Oh, (laughs) (laughs) Erin. I go through that process all the time. I'm like so aware of my emotions now. It's like, okay, well, this is happening. It's so real. And it makes it really hard. Like I used
1: to be so easygoing and chill. And now I'm like, I'm so not easygoing and chill. I like cry all the time. I have so many feelings. I like- Feeling feeling my body yeah <laughs> so it's like the opposite of chill but um yeah I really wanted to when I was a kid align with my dad and be like him mm. and be seen as someone who was independent and didn't meet people and kind of mm. reject my mom and the patriarchal gender norms that I was learning in church and um be more like my dad who had more of like what I could see as things that I wanted freedom and autonomy and like the ability to have a life that wasn't dependent on a partner and all those things. Um, so I really learned how to like press down my feelings Mm. and avoid an attachment and all of that. So it's been a long journey of like returning to my body, returning to my feelings. Um, and it's not easy. I think it was easier when I was really hard and cut off and closed off, but it was so much less rich and so much less alive. Um, so Mm. You know, I'm not sorry, I wouldn't change anything. Um, but it was probably easier back then, and now it feels more complex and also way more access to joy and love and pleasure, and also grief and all of those mm-hmm. other things that come as part of it. So, mm-hmm.
0: I don't know, those are some snippets beautiful. of the journey. <laughs> I'm
1: happy oh, to that's, answer beautiful.
0: The that's beautiful, and I think what I find interesting you were just talking about like the openness and expansiveness or feeling almost like liberated with these new forms of healing that you've been practicing and I, like the parallel that I find so interesting as someone who's also come from like a religious background growing up is that religion tries to offer you that but it has its restraints or it has its mm-hmm. um, rules that you have to follow to feel loved whereas I think what you might be hinting at here is that by creating that connection back with your body, by going into that openness, by feeling those emotions, that's when you get to create that love rather than have to try to find it or be proven of that love in a way. Um, so I think that's really beautiful. Um, and to kind of connect with you through this ex, I guess, religious lens. Um, I find that for me, talking in circles with other ex-religious people, we often use the term religious trauma. And I think that it holds so much weight. And so many of us have been affected, um, by different dogmatic religions in our lives that have ingrained sort of these patterns and, and pressures in our lives. Um, but with that term religious trauma, I was wondering if you could give like your own personal definition or a definition that you know of surrounding that term. Um, And your perspective on how it really affects us, um, if you could talk to that at all. Yeah, definitely. So, the term like religious
1: trauma syndrome was coined by Mm Marlene Winnell, I think is how you pronounce her last name. Mm -hmm. So, you could definitely share that like official definition if you want. Yeah. I think of it as the impacts of dogmatic religion and struggling Mm -hmm. with the impacts of that experience. Um, I think trauma is an experience that's overwhelming and like too overwhelming for our body to process. Mm-hmm. And particularly with religious trauma, that's an experience where it's not like a big um, in some circles that would be called like a big T event, like a one-time event idea. Religious trauma is so much more um, for most of us anyways. It's something that plays out over time happens over years in small and big ways. Um, so that's kind of how I think about religious trauma and like any trauma I think it shows up for people in a lot of different kinds of ways so I can Mm -hmm. speak for my own experience and a lot of the ways that I've seen religious trauma show up for me being around this like underlying feeling that I am bad And I am not good enough. And that has manifested in like a million different ways in my life. It's made romantic relationships feel really difficult where I'm always assuming that someone is mad at me because I've done something. Actually, not even just romantic relationships, but because I'm basically bad and wrong, right? I've done something bad. So they're going to leave me or I'm unlovable or I'm unworthy because I'm inherently bad. Um, I'm not good enough. So I can't have the love that I deserve, all those kinds of things. Um, And there's also a whole piece for me of religious trauma around pleasure and sexuality and desire. Um, And that feels like it shows it has shown up in such a somatic way I Mm. think that also part of why I needed to do so much work around getting back into my body was that um religious trauma where I learned to like dissociate from my body and um, not trust myself not connect to pleasure or anything of my body desire sexuality any of those pieces Um, and also I think there's something so insidious about it where it's like I wanted God to love me and I also wanted my parents to love me because my parents are the ones who gave me religion right so it's not mm-hmm. even just about wanting God to love me it's also my parents it's also like my core attachment figures, and it's all yeah. wrapped up in like this mess of conditional love and all these things that I'm learning. Um and all of this fear that I feel like took up a lot of space in my body because mm-hmm. my experience with religion with evangelical Christianity, Southern Baptist Christianity was so much one of fear being made to feel afraid of hell, of being bad, of losing God's love, of all of these different things, of straying, of getting in trouble, of being punished. Um, and so it was super fear-based. I'd be curious to hear what um, what your connection is to this or how um yeah how religious trauma has shown up for you if you feel like sharing anything about that.
0: Yeah absolutely and thanks thanks for asking. Yeah <laughs> um similar to you I think especially as a young child constantly hearing that you are a sinner or you are unworthy or you're only worthy if, and then name the list of things that you need to do to insert. Yeah. yeah. Um, that created, like you said, a lot of fear in me. And I, when I think fear comes into play, there's disconnection as well. Um, and something I'm learning or relearning is that when disconnection happens, that's when pain comes in and fills in those places. Um, and so for me, growing up in the church in this way, um, also attending a Christian like elementary school and high school um was something that was fed to me in different ways growing up. And learning to walk away was the hardest thing because like you said, I lost, I felt like I lost a lot of security. I lost a lot of friends. I lost, um, a lot of different, I guess, people's ideas or visions of me. And I realized that not only was I so worried about God's Mm -hmm. view of me, I was also worried about all these people's view of me Mm -hmm. who really don't have any influence or impact in my life. And so, um, for me, the biggest part of religious trauma is tied to disconnection. It's Mm -hmm. tied to this, this break, this sever between you and God or you and people, because you're inherently not good enough, or you have to prove through your radical acceptance that you Mm -hmm. are enough. Um, And that disconnection on a micro and macro level for the church is so fascinating to me. And it's something that I've been discussing a lot with, my friends who are religious and aren't religious um that I guess would be sort of how to answer that I'm not sure if that clearly gets to the point there but I'm really interested in the disconnect um I mean you can even look at it biblically right we're automatically disconnected from God so there's a bridge we have the gap there which is painful Mm -hmm. um, for me personally in my journey so yeah that's what I would I would say to that too
1: yeah, that resonates a lot, that idea of disconnection. Mm-hmm. And I would also add like disconnection from myself. And I didn't even yes. talk about this, but disconnection from my queerness and authentic sexuality, yeah. disconnection from body, disconnection mm-hmm. from like that source self that I feel like is inside of me. It's like my yeah. best self or most loving self or whatever you want to call it, like disconnection yeah. from that place, which is so learned because mm-hmm. we learn that we're not supposed to trust that self. We're supposed to trust mm-hmm. this-
0: God. Yeah. No, absolutely. That's exactly, I think what I'm getting at there is that I went so many years so far away from my body and scared of it. Or whenever I wanted to act on pleasure or act on like my sexuality, it was such a big, like, oh my God, like, what am I doing? I'm the worst person ever. Like, how could I ever like be intimate with someone or myself in that way? Cause like that's just so wrong and gross and dirty. And like, mm. it just created this, like such a disconnect from my body, which, um, I kind of want to segue into your mm. workshop that you created, um, about getting back into your body. I had the privilege and honor of attending that workshop and, and doing it. And I, uh, oh, Aaron, it was such a shift for me. Like it was something that just so deeply, moved me and affected me. Um, so I wanted to thank you for that first of all. Um, but I also would love to hear more about getting back into your body, that connection, um, and kind of what you have to add on that topic.
1: Yeah. Thank you so much for saying that. That really makes me so happy to hear. (laughs) Um, I think there's so much to it and also it's not like, you know, we have to get back in our bodies or we have to Mm -hmm. right now. I think that can be really scary and potentially re-traumatizing for people also everyone's not in the same place of wanting to like have that connection so just to offer that um Mm -hmm. but I think that for me getting back into my body has been about a process of noticing first and foremost and learning how to be more present so I can actually notice that my body's having an experience I can actually notice without maybe necessarily attaching a huge story to it oh like my chest feels really tight or my hands are tingling or my belly feels hot or like whatever it is there are all these sensations happening in my body and if I'm not present with them and I'm not noticing and tuning in then I miss out on that whole experience and like that's okay. I'm not gonna be in my body all the time. I'm not gonna be present. Oh, no. That's just like, it would be exhausting like, to be in your body all the time. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, no, there's just no way. Um, but I want to have access to being in my body. Right. And I want to be able to be in my body when I want it, when I need it. Um, and I don't want to feel like I can't be there. So yeah, I think it's a lot of practice around noticing and learning how to be present. And from there, we can do things also, right? Like we can think about dropping in deeper. We can think about like following sensations and what memories or images or other sensations they might lead us to. And we can play with the breath and all those kinds of things. Breath has been a huge part of my journey with my body as well. Um, But I think those are like the starting pieces for me. And then from there, it's like, yes, doing yoga and yes, doing breath work and breathing and meditating and doing ritual and pleasure practice and all kinds of stuff but it's like Mm -hmm. that's not any you can do those things and they can be fully disconnected from the body you know they can just be totally things you do it's like the presence is what's really the
0: big thing for me Mm -hmm. absolutely and um to add what you said at the beginning like when I started the workshop I went like the first four or five days like consistently and then it was like such a like rush or shock to be touching and tapping into my body that I did have to take like a few weeks with just kind of walking away from it and then coming back to it and it's that process Mm -hmm. of like learning to trust yourself again right that I think is also so beautiful that comes with the work that you're offering and that you're doing um can you touch a little bit more on breath work too because that was the part of the workshop for me that I felt like really unlocked something like it literally felt like it just kind of clicked and um, during that release, a lot came out. So can you tell us a little bit more about breath work and what that is? Yeah. Um,
1: breath work was that for me too. Breathwork really unlocked so much. It really helped me with that whole process. I was talking about, about learning how yeah. to feel a feeling again.
0: <laughs> I thought,
1: yes. um, yeah. So it can be quite intense. <laughs> um, there's so many different kinds of breath work I was first introduced to breath work when I um, trained as a yoga teacher which I don't teach yoga anymore but that was my first introduction to breathwork practice and I really loved it and then on a retreat I experienced the kind of breath work that I facilitate that you would have experienced in the get into your body workshop and then I was like whoa <laughs> what is this? This is amazing. And this is so wild. And like, literally what the fuck is happening in my body right now? Um, And it really cracked something open in me. And I think breath work can do that for a lot of us. You know, it's just like anything. It's not right for everybody. And, you know, everyone has a unique individual experience with it, but breath work is generally just the practice of breathing intentionally. The breath work that I facilitate is a three-part active breath that's um, intentionally supposed to support in moving emotional energy, which is why it can bring up a lot of feelings. Um, And when we talk about moving emotional energy, it's like touching those places where emotional energy, like unfelt feelings might be kind of hard or stuck. In our bodies um and that just happens as part of life like we don't feel every feeling we have even if we're like not trying to repress our feelings or anything it's just like kind of impossible in the world we Mm -hmm. live in with like capitalism and just everything we can't always just like cry in the middle of work or like on the subway or whatever um unless it's a
0: Pisces full moon then we can cry whenever (laughs) we want (laughs) it's my party I can cry if I want to (laughs) (laughs) um yeah and
1: so sometimes we don't feel safe to feel our feelings and that is sad but that's okay you know that's just like real um and working with practices like breath work I feel like create a little more space when we let those Mm -hmm. feelings move through us and come out I find that they create more spaciousness in my body anyways. And I think for other folks that can happen as well. Um, More spaciousness, more lightness, more of like access to other feelings um, that we might wanna experience more, like love or peace or pleasure or whatever it is that like feels good to you. So Mm -hmm. breathwork can help with a lot of things. It can resurface old trauma too, which can be really intense and it can help us feel and get things out. It can help us, um, connect to a more grounded place. It's great practice for presence with the body. Mm -hmm. Um, I've had breathwork sessions where I've felt really angry and I've had breathwork sessions where I felt super peaceful and just like, yeah, just like really peaceful and not uh, like volatile at all, or just like not really feeling slow, but just like touching this place of deep peace. So I think every time we do breath work, it's different. And for me, it's really about building a relationship with the breath. So we have more access to the breath when we need it um, and when it feels good, or when it doesn't feel good and we really need it anyways. <laughs> yes. Um, yeah. So that's a little bit about breath work.
0: So cool. Um, thank you for sharing that. Yeah. And- You mentioned like around pleasure and I think working around pleasure for me has been really fascinating and interesting this year. It's been a topic I feel like has been coming up a lot. Um, And so with pleasure, besides breath work, what are some other like modalities that you've kind of connected with or or have used to kind of reclaim pleasure in your life, um, being disconnected from it?
1: Mm, I love that. I mean, I think the pleasure work starts with the embodiment work for me Mm -hmm. and like, not just limited to breath work, but like presence and connection. I think it's also been about like consciously attuning towards pleasure, which Mm -hmm. is about being present, but like, oh, right. I can like race to this place that I'm going, or I can actually like breathe while I walk and I can notice Mm -hmm. the clouds or I can notice the sunset And I can Mm -hmm. actually like receive pleasure from that experience. It's not always like, let me sit down and experience pleasure. It's like, oh, I can actually like attune my attention towards the pleasure that's available to me now. Or like I have to eat and I'm eating and I can be like rushing through it. And I do often, or I can like really taste my food and be like, oh, wow, this is actually a really deeply pleasurable experience. So it's like shifting Mm -hmm. that attention um writing erotic poetry I love doing I write I love writing poetry about pleasure and about sex Mm -hmm. um definitely masturbating doing ritual Mm -hmm. um yeah I'm like what else spells all (laughs) kinds of like (laughs) pleasure work I love pleasure work yes (laughs) um and it's yeah it's been deeply healing for me what about you what pleasure
0: practices do you uh have or think about what's helped you Yeah, uh, similar to what you were talking about, getting in touch with just the things around you and kind of creating a space that's just pleasurable in its essence has been something I've been working on. Um, And like you said before, reconnecting with my body, something that it's still a journey, still working through. So trying to find that intimacy with myself and pleasure. Um, But for me, so I've currently just moved to this like new place. And um, I think the pleasure of like, I mean, change and transition isn't always pleasurable. There's a lot of things that happen that force change Mm -hmm. or transition. Um, But for me personally, for this experience of of change, um, I went into it trying to focus more on the pleasurable aspects of the life I'm trying to cultivate for myself right now. Um, So spending a lot of time in nature, Mm -hmm. um, connecting with water energy, Mm -hmm. something as I have a lot of air and fire in my chart. And so astrologically, so Mm -hmm. connecting with, water energy is has been really important to me and kind of getting to know the deeper parts of myself through water working with water and pleasure um has been fun from like a ritualistic aspect um but yeah those are some of the things i've been been working on as well
1: that's so beautiful i love the connection to water Mm -hmm. i'm so glad you said nature too i feel like nature Mm -hmm. has so much to teach us about literally everything but Such a good teacher for presence. I always feel that when I'm like actually in nature and like just like looking at the water moving or the leaves and like how the sunlight is like changing all the time through the leaves and it's all beautiful, but it's all different. It's like such a good teacher about being present with what's actually happening Mm
0: -hmm. and slowing down. (laughs) Yes.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So much.
0: Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Um, Erin, can we talk about your poetry? Yeah. <laughs> you mentioned, you mentioned um, <laughs> your erotic poetry. I know you write poetry. Um, first of all, can you share, do you have any like workshops or things that you offer to people as far as poetry, anything that you have to kind of give? And then let's talk about what you write and maybe even hear a poem from you.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally. Um, I do. I teach a very infrequent, well, not teach, mm-hmm. I facilitate a very infrequent erotic poetry writing workshop, um, mm-hmm. which I love doing. The next one is in November. Um, but I really love holding space for other people to write pleasure that or write like pleasure, write poems that feel healing <laughs> around like pleasure and sexuality and eroticism. Um, I don't only write erotic poetry though. Mm-hmm. I write poetry about my life, and I write poetry about healing and about mm-hmm. feelings and about where I'm at. So, yeah, I've been—I'm working on my first poetry collection. I've been writing oh, it for I a long love. time.
0: <laughs> thank
1: you, thank you. Um, and the collection is called Moon Sign, and oh, wow. it's really tracing a journey with religious trauma and with family and past relationships into mm. queerness and coming out and into accessing more freedom and into healing so not that it's so linear as that but um yeah, yeah those are kind of the topics i'm really touching with poetry these days but i write whatever is in my heart and i write like for myself too i think mm-hmm. i'm excited to put out the collection and that feels really cool but I wrote all those poems for me to like process and to be with my feelings and to like make sense of what was happening and writing poetry and creative expression of all kinds feels really healing and supportive for me. So I'm really grateful to have that as a medium. Oh,
0: that's beautiful. Um, Would you be willing to share one of your poems with us today? Yeah, I would love to. Yeah. Oh, we would be honored to hear you read (laughs) Hey, I have one of,
1: Let me get mm-hmm. it. Um, it's called End Scene, mm-hmm. and it is about coming out. I came out to my family this summer. Um, mm-hmm. that's what it's about. So it's called End Scene. You know, that's a choice we disagree with breeze rolls through my car, and I have never felt more alive. We probably wouldn't come to your wedding. I lit myself on fire, and this is what emerged. Do you think you would be doing this if you weren't living where you live, around all those people who make you think this is normal when it's not? My ribs crack open, and a cloud of butterflies emerges. When your sister was having her life crisis, I specifically asked you if you were gay, and you said no. We kiss in my car, at Home Depot, in the stairwell, at the park, in the doorway, in the tent, in the yard of the old man from Craigslist who we buy our kayaks from. But you just dated a man for three years. The water is cold, but I am not afraid. I pull them and all their bare skin towards me for the lily pads and the whole world to see. I just think if you had a relationship with Jesus, you wouldn't make this choice. What is the word for when all the fragmented parts return home? I never wanted this issue to be part of my life. Somewhere, my queer ancestors clap their hands and I take
0: a bow for all of us. (laughs) Erin, thank you for sharing that. Um, Sorry, I'm getting really emotional. (laughs) Yeah, that's okay. (laughs) Me too. (laughs) incredible and beautiful and moving and I love the way you work with it's almost like maybe the dialogue that you had had with your family in between the scenes of queer connection and beauty and your love and that is so powerful um wow sorry no okay that's really sweet thank you that's beautiful thank you for sharing that um I, yeah, I wanna take a moment to just kind of absorb that and really give it its space and all of its beauty. Um, and grief, you can really feel the moving, almost like you said, like water energy, moving that grief up and down through the way that you've written that beautiful poem. Um, is there anything you'd like to share or talk about um, in regards to the poem? Um, and share with our listeners sure yeah um thank you for those reflections
1: and yeah yeah, I think when you say grief like grief has really Mm -hmm. been the word of the summer plus for me (laughs) this has been the hardest and best and hardest year of my whole life um and I think that grief is so present in that poem because grief Mm -hmm. is so present in my life right now. And Mm -hmm. you're right, like those words are words that my family um, said to me mixed in with kind of like the liberation and connection and intimacy and Mm -hmm. aliveness and self and other and love that I'm experiencing and feeling. Um, And I think a lot about how In this time in my family, I'm probably the first person who is actually able to like, live a queer life. Um, And so it feels like Yes, I'm doing it for me. I'm doing it because that's authentic to me and that's my desire and that's who I am. But it also like nothing I do feels disconnected for my ancestors as well. And I don't know, but I imagine because queer people are everywhere, and we always have been that I have queer ancestors in the past who weren't able to live queer lives or be their authentic selves the way that I'm able to now. And you know, it doesn't come without a cost. Um, there's been yeah, a lot of severedness with my family through this. Um, but it's true that like, I'm actually able to live this way and have queer relationships and talk about it on this podcast and be okay. And um, that feels healing for me. And I like to think that it's healing for them too.
0: Absolutely. And thank you for um, sharing that in this space. Like we have, it's just so, such an honor to hear you read and to share parts of your personal story with mm-hmm. us because I do really believe that story and storytelling um, is such an important form of connection, of making connection Mm -hmm. rather than disconnection and hearing people's stories um, in their lives and getting to um, talk with them and hear their difficult and long and grief and happy and alive journeys is so important. And it's all of those things wrapped into one. um, I think so too, I think it's so important. (laughs) yeah that um aliveness Mm. I love that I love that term being alive feeling alive because there have definitely been parts in my life where you don't feel so connected to life in its full huzzah joy Mm -hmm. (laughs) and like moments um can you talk a little bit about claiming those livelihood moments in your life this year um, how that's felt for you. Yeah, I think
1: I like to say aliveness because that's actually the thing I'm trying to feel it's Mm -hmm. not happy. I mean, I love to feel happy. Of course, who doesn't love that, you know, but like, I'm actually trying to feel alive. I'm actually trying to feel like the full scope of my experience and my life and my heart and not just feel the feelings that feel really good. And Mm -hmm. I do feel really alive when I'm connected to my grief, even though I'm also holding all this heaviness or to my sadness or my loneliness or my, anxiety or my anger like those things I do feel alive in those experiences and that's like a I don't know like a 3d full color way of experiencing life that I deeply want to have Mm -hmm. and that's kind of been this year there have been these like really hard low moments and there have been these just really high ecstatic joyful experiences there's been a breakup. There's been falling in love. There's been a breakup with my family. There's been a lot of different things, um, a lot of change and transition and moving and uprooting and rooting into new relationship and all of those things. Um, and somebody said this somewhere, which is unspecific and unhelpful. I don't remember <laughs> who, but I didn't say it. But the idea is that you're only as alive as you are open to being annihilated, and. Ugh yeah, this year, I really deeply felt the truth of that. And I am so open to being annihilated, you know, like I told my family the truth and they kind of did annihilate me. I like fell in love and my partner could absolutely annihilate me. I love them so much, you know, in a way I've never loved before. Like, so I feel really open to being absolutely destroyed and that's scary. And also that's like life. That's like, I don't want to not feel those things or open to those experiences or not tell the truth because it might hurt. It really might hurt. Um, but I think it's worth it. And I think that I'm trusting that I'm okay and that Mm -hmm. I can be okay and be Mm -hmm. resilient. Um, no matter what happens that I can survive. Mm -hmm. I think I'm learning that this year when like, you know, a really worst fear since childhood has come true of like parents abandoning me and feeling like oh right like that actually happened you know as an adult in a different way where I don't literally need them for survival Um, but I didn't die I'm okay I'm still here you know Mm -hmm. and there's something about like going through things and having that like experiential memory of what we can do and what we can survive through and what's also available for us on the
0: other side of it um, has been really powerful this year. That's incredibly powerful. Um, I really connect with the honesty and truth-telling aspect of what you said and being open to that destruction, you know? Um, a, a post that I think actually you wrote i that one of the first posts i read from you actually um earlier this year was about um like truth telling but also how religion also creates us to lie in different ways lying to our family about um our identity about our life of keeping parts of ourselves hidden feeling that we have to like tiptoe around these certain topics and things um and hearing your story and hearing how you've been able to claim that, that truth and honesty in your life is so empowering, um, not only for myself, but I think for so many, um, of us. So thank you for sharing that, um, here in this space today.
1: Yeah. Thanks for asking. It can be really hard to tell the truth, you know, especially when we have this religious background, it's like, you should lie. And I have this culture Mm -hmm. in my family that's like, you should lie. If the truth is going to be upsetting, you should not tell us. Um, and that's really, (laughs) it's really hard to go against that programming, but I've just found this year, especially of really needing to put that to rest and being like, Mm. even if the truth is going to hurt, I have to tell it. And even if the truth is going to hurt, I want to hear it. Um, and to like, yeah, move towards what feels scary instead of always away from.
0: Absolutely. Um, and to kind of go along with this topic, you you recently posted something I think in the summertime about um, it was a post and had a quote of yours and it said sorry, I'm just trying to find it yeah. um, I'm I'm an adult and I'm allowed to have a life that makes my family uncomfortable and mm-hmm. I read that at a time where I was in a situation where I was surrounded by different family members um, we were gathered together somewhere who have very different walks of life than me um, and reading that I was sitting on the couch, just like scrolling through Instagram. I remember exactly when I saw it, I was like, Oh, okay. Like this is going to be okay. Like I'm allowed to have this life that I have. I'm allowed to cultivate the life that I want. I don't need to get caught in this routine of people pleasing all the time. Um, I was wondering if, what are some like words of encouragement you would give folks who are kind of navigating those difficult spaces of family and, um, of cultivating the life that you desire and, and are pursuing for yourself?
1: Oh, it's so hard.
0: Yeah.
1: I think what I want to say is that it's true. You are allowed to have a life that makes people, your family, anyone else uncomfortable. Like, that's okay. And I think mm-hmm. something I also wrote in that post is like, or maybe a different one is I don't owe anyone not my family Mm -hmm. not anyone else a life that makes them happy but that's actually what I owe to myself right I owe myself a life that makes me happy and I think we all do and I think I would say build up your support like don't try and (laughs) do all this stuff alone like let yourself be supported and seek out like friends and community and therapy and healing space and whatever else you need, chosen family, all those things um, and practices too that can support you because It's really real. It's hard to break out of family patterns. It's hard to make your family uncomfortable. It's hard to like be your authentic self when no one's cheering for you. No one wants this for you. And they would rather you be small and stay the same and let them be comfortable and not have to change or be confronted or have uncomfortable feelings. But like, you're not responsible for your family's feelings about who you are. And at the end of the day, I think it's about living by your own values and you know, I talked to my mom about how I'm out of integrity with her values, but I'm not out of integrity with mine. And Mm -hmm. I choose to live by my own values, not hers. So we don't actually have a problem. You know, the problem is with her not understanding that I have my own values and I get to live by those. But yeah, I think it's so much more about staying in integrity with ourselves. And like, Mm -hmm. if we're not, then yeah, that's a problem. (laughs) Um, But if we are and people just don't like that, don't accept it, want you to stay in line with their values and what they think is important and what makes them comfortable. I think that is the key to living a small and sad life and feeling really dissatisfied. Um, so I guess that's what I would say. And also it's really hard. And if you cry a lot, then yeah, me too. (laughs) Yeah. Same. we're all out here just just
0: crying (laughs) (laughs) yep (laughs) oh Erin thank you for that um I just really love what you said there about um you know like we don't have a problem here like these are my values and my integrity Mm -hmm. and living by that um I think is beautiful and an incredible way to um approach approach that that's amazing
1: um I know we're
0: kind of running out of time here, but um, do you have anything you'd like to wrap up with, to close up with, anything else you'd love to share? Um, Mm -hmm. We'd love to hear it. I don't know. I don't think
1: so. I think Mm -hmm. just like the thing that I'm always telling myself and maybe it will feel helpful, first, helpful for someone else to hear. So I'll just tell you as well, like there's nothing wrong with you and there's nothing about you that mm-hmm. needs fixing. Um, I think healing is so much more about figuring out who we're not and thought we were supposed to be than trying to like change who we are, fix our broken selves or any of that bullshit. Like I yeah, don't yeah. buy it. I think that we are all inherently just okay and good and fine and perfect and wonderful and um but there's nothing about us that's actually wrong healing isn't about fixing that it's about fixing the impacts of living under these fucked up systems and programming and broken attachment and all those kinds of things um
0: so I guess that's what I will close with that is beautiful and a great way to end this episode Erin. thank you so much again for being here for sharing your story with us for reading your beautiful beautiful poetry with us um and getting to know you more it's been such an honor to have you here today so final warm thank you and so much gratitude for you thank you so much for having me
1: it's such a lovely podcast i'm really honored to be part of it thank you thank you <laughs>